Welcome to the Developer Spotlight on the Full Dive Gaming Podcast. In the Developer Spotlight, we sit down with VR industry professionals. This week, we've got Jay and Lip here sitting down with Chase Hernandez and Evan Lampy from Steel Wool Studios, the makers of the new Hello Neighbor VR game Search and Rescue that's launching today. Thank you both for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah, ditto. Very excited to be here. Let's dive in. Hey, while we're saying thank you to everybody, we got to also thank our sponsor of the podcast, Asterion Products. They make great VR, AR headset stands, mats, headphone stands. Use code FULLDIVE10 on Amazon to save an extra 10% on their products. For our listeners who are joining us right now who haven't really heard of Steel Wool Studios or if they haven't heard of you guys, can you give us a little overview of who you are and what Steel Wool Studios has been up to lately? Sure, yeah. Uh, Steel Wool was founded uh, a little over 10 years ago. Uh, we were actually really early adopters of the kind of modern VR tech wave. Okay. Um, I think at one point, actually, we were the only studio in California that had a VR headset. Wow. <laughs> so we had people coming over and, and using impressive. it for the first time. Yeah, it was really it was really cool. And at the time, we were a pretty small team, of maybe less than 20 or so. Um, but since COVID, we went fully remote. And so now we're able to hire people from all over the country, which has been really great. You know, a while back, we were approached by Tiny Build to help uh, bring the Hello Neighbor franchise into VR. And I mean, obviously we, we jumped at that opportunity, right? We were big fans of Hello Neighbor 1 and Secret Neighbor. And, you know, the idea of bringing that world into VR was just really exciting for us. So, I mean, a year or two later, here we are. Awesome. So I'm curious, I, before we get into the big questions, you said your team used to be like less than 20. What's the team now? Mm-hmm. We're closer to 100, maybe 90 or so. Ooh. Yeah. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> scaling up. Yep. <laughs> So going on with the questions here, my kids, I actually put them into this game last night and let them play it. And, uh, and, and my six-year-old actually played it for about half an hour or so. They were beyond stoked. They're still stoked that I'm actually talking to people who worked on one of their absolute favorite franchises. Uh, I know you guys have played the flat screen games. Can you kind of give us a comparison of how the VR version of this game compares to the flat screen and how you sort of took the ideas from the flat screen game and made it a full VR title? Yeah, certainly. I think one of the most important things to us was maintaining the feel of Hello Neighbor, which has not been in VR up to this point. Uh, maintaining the feel of a traditionally flat game in a VR experience can be can be a challenge, right? As far as the scare factor is concerned, that one comes really easily in VR, right? Like the, the scale of things, uh, being pursued by this, this gigantic gentleman with a wonderful mustache. That's the easy part, right? The hard part is making sure that it continues to maintain the hall marks of the the IP uh, in a different medium that may not necessarily lend itself well to those different concepts, right? Things like the things that we take for granted in non-VR games, things like force movements, cutscenes, things of that nature are in an entirely different approach when it comes to VR. The player has complete control of the camera. We have to be aware of things like, are we going to make players motion sick if we do X, Y, or Z thing? Even if it works for the narrative of the game, we have to be really creative about how we pursue these solutions. So when it comes to the biggest differences uh, in the game, we're hoping that our players actually don't feel any. We're hoping that the experience in VR is natural enough due to the capabilities of the, the hardware, right? Being able to use your hands the way you want to, puzzle solving, uh, observational storytelling, all of that stuff goes really well in VR. And then we tried a lot of new things to make sure that the game felt the way that the other Hello Neighbor games felt. It feels very sleuthy. It feels like we're telling a story. It feels like you're seeking out secrets without necessarily forcing the player to look at a certain thing or do something in a particular way to then create a certain outcome. So we had to be really thoughtful in 
every element of the design, not to mention the fact that this game is a non-linear puzzle solver, which is physics driven in VR. We had plenty of, of uh, technical challenges to chew on as we went through it. So I think hopefully people don't notice that it's VR, right? They, they only feel the good things that VR introduces to the franchise and it maintains the character of the IP um, without creating any of that dissonance. Well, I will say, uh, since you mentioned the puzzles there, I was getting huge amounts of Zelda vibes going through, like almost like <laughs> the Zelda style t- dungeon puzzles going through and all the things just clicking like, oh, where do I go next? Oh, wait, what's this over here? What's this thing? What does that do? Okay, that must do this thing and figuring it all out. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really high praise for for us. I mean, that's that's obviously the experience we wanted to bring uh, to this is giving the sense of discovery and exploration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to imagine, but I guess I should probably give a brief synopsis in case someone out there hasn't heard of the Hello Neighbor series. I mean, this was like worldwide viral sensation. Hello Neighbor, <laughs> when I first saw it, kind of reminded me of like uh, Disturbia or the Rear Window movies. You see from your house that your neighbor's up to no good, and it's up to you to kind of figure out what's going on. And there's a much larger mystery behind all this you know some missing kids and stuff i don't want to spoil anything but basically that was the series how and how it felt and now it's been brought into vr but the one of the twists of course your kids your kids you see something you know something's wrong but your kids so who's gonna believe you so you have to go and figure this out and prove this yourself although i never actually played the original hello neighbor games i remember watching like jacksepticeye market player like everybody was playing them at the time. Do you think after developing this game with your history with it, will people need to go play or have some history with the original games or can they just jump into the VR game with no knowledge of Hello Neighbor? So I've been watching some of the early streams and got to say, it's a blast to watch them. That's so much mm-hmm. fun. And I think anyone who's interested in the game should go check those out because they're a really great a representation of, of how much fun you can have in the game. Playing the other games, as far as that goes, I think first and foremost, I think we really wanted Search and Rescue to be a great standalone experience. You know, we know that a lot of people are coming in fresh to the franchise on this game. So we want to make sure that those people had a, you know, a fantastic time. Um, but that being said, the game does narratively take place between Hello Neighbor 1 and 2. So mm. fans who want to do the deep dive in the lore, we're there for that, right? The people people can go real deep into this game. There's a lot of hidden secrets, a lot to uncover, just like in, in 1 and 2. I bet you that comment alone is going to be people listening to this are going to know, oh, this, this part of the timeline, there's like a million <laughs> videos about Hello Neighbor history and all oh, the yeah. backstory of all the things. And it's like, I can... I can only imagine what the audience is going to go just wild to get that extra thing in there. Yeah, I have to admit, this was my first Hello Neighbor game that I played. I I played the VR game when I joined the company before I played any of the others. And one of the things that I think is most exciting about getting into this game and and experiencing it in VR is that uh, a little bit what I was saying before, right? It marries VR best practices with the spirit of the original franchise. So it, it works really great on its own. And then you get this enriched experience if you either go back retroactively and play the other games, I think it's going to drive you back into search and rescue to say, I think I remember that thing. Is that what I think it is? And you'll start to compile the story for yourself. So I think in its own right, it's a, it's a good entry into the series, especially if you're someone who is looking at this as a VR game and not necessarily a Hello Neighbor game. Maybe the, the next best step is to go in and check out the other Hello Neighbor games and start to piece the puzzle together because there are things that we put in here specifically for those folks who play, as Evan was saying. So that was how I approached it. And it took me to those games and it gave me a new sense of interest. so yeah it's pretty cool well that that's awesome uh i i will say like i was i was blown away to find out this game's coming out on the 25th which is literally today uh for steam quest 2 and psvr 2 and i know 
PSVR 1 is coming uh, in a, a couple weeks, maybe a month or so. Uh, but how hard was it to get all these dates for this date and get that all figured out in three headsets? basically three different headsets at once, essentially. I think you can probably guess the answer to this question. This was a, an enormous technical challenge. Um, yeah. when, you, <laughs> when you consider the fact that, uh, you know, Steam VR release isn't necessarily just one headset, right? It's a, it's a plethora of different headsets. Yeah. We're really talking about uh, six headsets, give or take, right? Um, that, that are being supported simultaneously. And these different headsets that we have have a, a wide chasm of technical capabilities, right? Um, so this was this was far and away the the biggest development technical challenge that, that we had to to go over. Maintaining parity of our critical game systems uh, across this divide um, made us make decisions with incredible rigor. Right? If we were going to put something in the game, we had to be sure that it was going to be supported across all of our platforms so that the players would have a uniform experience. We didn't want any person on any headset having a different experience, a degraded experience, whatever. Um, obviously, the games do look different on the different SKUs. Uh, some of them can support more robust functionality than others. But the the gameplay, what the players experience across all the headsets is the same, right? And that was really, really important. Um, and, you know, it, it was a painful process at times. Um, even through our rigor, we, we tried to, to identify every point of failure. We couldn't do it. Um, and, and it caused us to go back and do a lot of work that we didn't anticipate. So um, there, there were some more painful times. Uh, just as a small example, um, our primary conveyance for what is climbable in the game Climbing is a huge part of the game, right? And puzzle solving aspect. Uh, our conveyance for that is a yellow material, right? The, the climbable objects in the game are yellow, right? It's just a visual language that we use to talk to our players. Uh, and one of the really easy things for us to do to make sure that that language was consistent across every climbing puzzle in the game was to throw a decal on an object. So we, we have these very unique climbing puzzles at points in the game that don't utilize assets that are used anywhere else in the game. And our only way to show the player where to go is this yellow color. Um, and so putting a decal on it made it really easy, but not every platform could run decals when we got into our, our QA portion of the game. So a huge critical system for player conveyance died on the vine instantly. And we had to go back and re-architect all of those bespoke assets for these wild climbing sections. Uh, so that we could have that color yellow on there and maintain that consistent player experience. So it, it was a challenge for sure, but I think the audience that we get to reach by shipping it on all of these titles uh, is going to give us a, a community, I think, uh, across all of the different headsets that get to enjoy the same experience together and they get to share stories about the things that they learned and the secrets they found um, without being constrained by the headset that it's about. So I got a question for both of you to follow up that then. And you can you can not answer this if you don't want to, but what is your favorite headset to play this game on? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, well, I I dev on a Rift S um, just because I do have I have about six or so headsets in this office um, of different types and amounts and whatever dev kits and other things. But uh, but I use the Rift S. It's it's simple and take it on, take it off all the time easily. Uh, don't have to worry about charging it or anything like that. So so I gotta say, Rift S is is the way to go for me. Classic, nice. Classic, yep. For my part, uh, it is going to have to be the Quest Two with the link cable. Um, I, I actually uh, I've been into VR for a really long time. I have my own Oculus Rift. 
with the three sensors. I know it seems like probably caveman tech at this point, uh, but I tested a lot of the game on that setup uh, in my in my last place. Um, and it was my favorite until I found out you didn't have to have the sensors and you didn't have to lose hand tracking all the time because your body was covering your controllers. So uh, it was the Quest 2 for me, certainly, then VP. Plus, I can test the Quest 2 standalone with the same headset. I, so that's what it gets me. It's just su- simple get in, get out kind of thing. I got rid of my Rift S a while back and I've kind of always regretted that because as much as I love other headsets and the link cables and the problems that come with it, the Rift S just was so easy. It was always ready to put on. I'm curious though, while we're on the topic, PSVR 2, did you use the headset haptics in it? I didn't get to try it on that one. So uh, we didn't use the headset haptics for PSVR 2. Um, One of the things that I was talking about just a little bit ago was player comfort. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that is native to a a lot of games of this genre is the jump scare. When you get Mm -hmm. captured by the neighbor, there is uh, what we call forced movement, right? Um, And this is one of those high zones for discomfort in Mm -hmm. the player base. Anytime you force a movement that the player doesn't make, it, it messes with your equilibrium, right? It makes you feel sick and generation sickness. So one of the things that, that we didn't necessarily want to complicate in, in our game was adding this additional set of motion to these forced movement areas. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely something we've looked into and it likely has a place in the game, but not in this Makes sense. Makes sense. Even as we were talking here just before we came on, Hello Neighbor has been a series that's been enjoyed to people of all ages, you know, from full grown adults to very young kids. Uh, <laughs> and I saw that you got a 10 plus rating on the Oculus Store. I also saw in research there was tons of forums. Is, is Hello Neighbor okay for kids? What age of kids can play? So how do you feel about the 10 plus rating you got? And overall, how many kids you know will probably get in and try this game? Yeah, I think, uh, honestly, I think that's a fair rating. Um, I think anyone who's played Hello Neighbor knows that there's some darker themes hidden underneath the surface. This very fantastical world with kind of creepy undertones. Um, and I think the experience in VR definitely takes the tension to the next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, the neighbor himself in VR is super intimidating. Um, and the, the jump scares are pretty visceral. Um, but that being said, I, I think, like we were saying before, that I think kids take to the VR medium uh, a lot more naturally than, than older people do. So they might have a different experience with that and be more comfortable there than, than older folks. And I think, I don't want to give too much away, but I think in some parts of the game, especially later, we definitely drift into kind of like cosmic horror territory as we get a little bit more surreal and things get a little bit ratcheted up. <laughs> I was playing it in my garage and I came up to have lunch with my wife and she's like, why did I hear screaming earlier? <laughs> and I was like, I forgot. I haven't, I haven't played a game with that bad of a jump scare in a while. And it's not even just the jump scares, but like you're turning, you're thinking you're totally fine. And then all of a sudden you like, you almost feel it weirdly in VR when you get grabbed. And yeah, I definitely yelled a couple of times and surprised myself when I did. <laughs> that is awesome to hear. Uh, one of the things that I, I think, a lot of developers probably grow a thick skin around is the the novelty of your game, right? The the things that really make it shine, and it's really great to hear that you had that experience. I I vividly recall 
playing through sections of the game as we went through development to make sure that everything was looking the right way, everything was performing how we wanted it to, and getting genuinely frightened by this neighbor in these circumstances. It just comes out of nowhere and it gets you, and I love to hear that coming from you. So I'm curious, uh, for people that have played the the non-VR version that are all into the VR version, what mechanics did you take from the flat version of the game and, and incorporate them into VR? And was that a huge challenge for you to guys do that? So yeah, I, I think to, to really cut to the heart of it, the mechanics that we took into at least the, the core gameplay loop were centered around puzzling, right? Um, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the game at its heart is a, a non-linear puzzle solve. Um, if you play through this game one way the first time, uh, you don't have to play through it that way the second time, and you can still get through to the end of the game. So um, at the heart of the Hello Neighbor franchise is that sort of... Uh, onus on the player to figure out what's going on without necessarily being told. I think a lot of games today and a lot of players today are used to uh, wayfinder system, navigation, things that tell you where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do at any given time in the game, so you never feel alienated, never feel like you're lost, you can just always make progress. Uh, Hello Neighbor, down to its roots, even in Hello Neighbor 1, relied on the player to figure things out, right? And that is one of the feelings that I think we've done a really good job of capturing. There's some help that we do give the player, um, and I think, largely speaking, it is unobtrusive. It helps the player understand and pick up sessions if maybe they put it down for a month and they don't remember exactly what they're doing. But we are by no means telling the player, here's where you go now that you've got X or Y, right? We're relying on you to use your observational skills, understand the layout of the house, understand what the neighbor is doing, and then react to it, right? As if you were in a, in a real space. And that was really important to us to make sure that we preserve sort of the, the sanctity of the franchise. Um, so in my opinion, I think that that's the, the big one. And then obviously, you know, the, the neighbor is another very important part of this. Making your singular antagonist feel like he is a threat is 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 a big ask, it, especially in VR. It'd be all too easy to say he's he's always on top of you. He is always this scary, looming threat. But we wanted to maintain the levity of the franchise. It's not all about being you know, having the tension ratcheted up to 10 all the time. So we give the player room to explore. We give them the whimsy of the franchise as well. And I think that that also keeps it in the realm of, you know, we we're talking about the 10 plus rating. It, it keeps it in the realm of we're not trying to make sure everyone feels like they're on the edge of their seat all the time. We're allowing players to have this organic experience, um, have a bit of fun with the scares, right? Um, but also have it maintain that sort of integrity of we're not taking it too seriously. Um, and, and you can actually have fun with the neighbor, right? Uh, part of this game and part of the fun that I have with it, having played it so many times, is I love messing with the neighbor. He, he reacts to everything you do. I love to leave him little things to find. I like to take his stuff. I like to see how long I can keep him distracted from whatever it is he was trying to do. Um, and and that, is, that is one of the things that's going to make this just a, a little bit different than some of the others in the franchise is, is really getting to engage with him like he's a real person and you're actually there's a lot we did to maintain it and then you know we put our own creative spin on some of the things that maybe haven't been present in the franchise in the past without going too far outside the bounds of, of what we know i will say uh i am i get crazy about tutorials in vr and i was a little bit worried at the very start of the game when it's telling me this is how you do this thing this is how you do this thing this is how you do this thing and i couldn't be happier when it just said 
okay, now figure it all out for yourself. Play the game. This is what playing a game is. I don't want you to just point me in the direction. Let me figure it out. And it it felt so much more fun to do that. And again, I had a six-year-old play this game and he didn't need me to tell him how to play the game. He was progressing on his own. So that that should say right there that you you figured the right balance of how to teach people how to play the game while letting them play the game for themselves, you know? Yeah, awesome. I'm really glad to hear that. I mean, we we always have this sort of debate at, at, when it comes to time to tutorialize uh, VR mechanics. You know, we know that not everyone's super experienced with the medium. I mean, even I remember our first games that we ever made in VR, we'd put people on the headset and they'd ask, how do I turn? How do I look around? And it's like, <laughs> turn your head. your head. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. oh my God, it's, it's happening. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, so what's the balance? I mean, some people slip right into it. Other people really need like, wait, do I press a button to move? Or finding that spot, especially in the beginning of the game is, is a little tricky. But once people get their sea legs under them, we really want to take the training wheels off and say like, okay, well now go ahead and explore, like figure out, can I, can you do this? Well, why don't you try? Yeah, I love that. I think that it in the beginning, it was enough. I will say I got a little confused at first, very beginning in the tutorial. I got to like the window and it told me like, turn around basically is what it was telling me, but it showed a thumbstick and showed it going backwards. And I thought that was like telling me look down at something. And so yeah. then I realized, oh, there's like a quick turn <laughs> function. But that's mm-hmm. it's tough to convey to people, even with all the experience in VR sometimes, exactly what they're trying to do. So the tutorial is there in the beginning to get you the basic mechanics. And then it's up to you to kind of learn. Yeah, just a little studio insight. We we constantly, constantly have conversations about this. Um, there, there are folks in the studio who are diehard, absolutely 100% against any sort of tutorialization, any sort of UI in a VR game. And I think there's there's a lot of validity to that. The medium itself lends itself to that exploration, right? It says, you're in here see what you can do. But at the same time, the the entire section of the tutorial that we've been talking about so far takes place in, in an area that we call Nikki's room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, it is specifically the place where we tell you how to use the controls so that we never have to talk about it. We have you execute every single action that exists in the game in this area so that we don't ever have to tread that territory again. It is a hotly contested topic because for folks who have played almost any VR game before, you wouldn't need it, right? I'm certain everyone on this on this chat is, is thinking to themselves, well, I, I could have figured it out, right? And, and that's very, very true. But we also want to make sure that folks who are new to the franchise, folks who are new to VR, whatever the case may be, have, have an equal chance of success. So it's, it's, it's a constant debate because we haven't found the right answer. There's no universal way to make sure that everyone knows what they're doing. So we're hoping that we've struck the right balance here. Um, and that's, we, we've, We've hit that sort of like gold mine of this is exactly where it needs to be and it doesn't. Yeah, I think, I mean, part of that is there just hasn't been the time yet in the medium to establish design conventions for user experience. I mean, even first person shooter console games didn't have a unified control scheme until like Call of Duty 4, you know, Mm -hmm. with like L1 to aim, R1 to shoot kind of thing. That's not, that wasn't even a thing up until that point. And and even before then, some people were using movement on the right stick and look on the left stick and other people had them flipped. And so what the right way to do it is, is sort of arbitrary in a way, but once, once everyone kind of does the same thing and the industry starts moving in the same direction, it starts being easier to rely on your players being tutorialized, not just by your game, but by playing other games that are similar to yours. Completely agree with that fact. I was thinking exactly the same thing, and I've been thinking that for a long time. Yeah, it's a concept that's come up on the podcast a lot. It goes by uh, 
the term gaming literacy and it's like the concept of is it does it make sense that whenever anyone picks up any video game they should expect that pushing up on a stick means forward or will some people who have never been gamers have no idea what to do with that control in their hands and for vr it's tricky but we're kind of getting to where most controllers look the same but i have to imagine part of the reason psvr1 is going to be a little later of a launch because those controllers were a nightmare <laughs> yeah you have yeah. the move controller and then you also have the uh the the glow stick controllers <laughs> you got, yeah yeah it's a mess i'm excited this game is out now it's 30 dollars. i believe that's across all platforms unless people pre-ordered it there was a little bit less how many hours of gameplay can they expect for that the thing that i'll say about this is it it was our intention to put out a, a full and robust game when we when we created Search and Rescue. Um, it's it's really it's a true sandbox puzzler game, um, and so honestly, it's it's loaded with lots of different interactions, uh, different interplays between the characters. I've mentioned this probably three times already, but the the nonlinear problem solving uh, is definitely an aspect that we really leaned into. Um, I myself, even in the last couple of months, have said these words. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Now look at this pad is open, right? Um, it, it's there's there's a lot to chew on here, and so for a player who's great at puzzle games, someone who's maybe a Hello Neighbor veteran, um, if you if you're really really good at it and you're really trying to get through it as quickly as possible, I think there's a solid four hours there of I know exactly where I'm going and exactly what to do and what I'm supposed to be looking for, everything that's important. Uh, but honestly, it's it's likely that players will spend far more time than that uh, in this game. Like I said, it's really fun to pull pranks on the neighbor. It's mm -hmm. it's really fun to figure out what the different paths are. Um, and we've talked about this too. We don't tell you where to go or what to do. We, we let you loose. We give you just enough information to be dangerous and we say, go have fun, right? So unless you're really, really trying to power through it, I think you're going to get a good amount of time out of this game. And then if you want to play through it again to see the different paths, I think there's a little bit extra there too. So um, it's, it's really dependent upon the player. But I will also share this one fact because I'm very, very proud of this. Uh, we have played through the game lots and lots. And our speed record time for anyone who wants to beat it is 43 minutes. So <laughs> just throwing the gauntlet down right now, 43 minutes. If you best that time, let us know. That is impressive. impressive. <laughs> I, I, there's something I was curious about. I was thinking because I know the original Hello Neighbor series, a big part of it was the AI. And you can tell the neighbor he's got, you know, he thinks he sees things are out of place. He's like, why is this here? There seems to be an element to that. But part of that AI in the original was like, if you went in through a window, he would trap that window the next time you came back. I'm not super far in the game. Is that a part of this game or because of the way it plays with multiple characters? Was Did you have to make that different? Yeah, I'd say that that uh, design convention is is sort of I wouldn't say irrelevant, but it's it's it doesn't fit as well into the multiple player swapping core mechanic. Um, I think at over time by playing the game, you sort of trap yourself in these interesting ways, and it's sort of cooperating between these two characters. And oh oh, this character's way over there. How do I get that character over here? And it's all these things. And the neighbor does dynamically uh, evolve his. Uh, pathing and his behavior over time as you unlock new spaces, as you get down into the basement, as you get into his backyard, so, you know, he's always around. And and so the learning how to manipulate the neighbor is really kind of the core of uh, of that dynamic. Yeah. It's a little more subtle now. It's not so Correct. obvious. Yeah. 
I will also say uh, that in the interest of, uh, again, just maintaining that sort of like narrative integrity, uh, the neighbor does react to things that you do as you move through the game. You may take certain actions that do call him over to you, that make him investigate what you're up to. Uh, so it's not a, an exact analog to what we're talking about here, but I think we've, we've done a good job of making sure that where we can preserve that sort of vision, we have. So uh, yeah, I, I think, again, it, it's it's all about making the right decisions for the, the actual game experience in the player in this version of the game i think this is this is the right way to handle it i know you guys mentioned okay you can replay this game multiple times and have a different experience but is there any thought or talks of doing a, a second hello neighbor vr game as of yet no 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 talks uh nothing no insights to share on this front but you know the hello neighbor especially in vr it's it captures the sensation of being a kid in your your neighbor's like your creepy neighbor's house, right? Um, and and it's really unique in VR in all the ways that we've already talked about, right? Um, but one thing that we haven't yet mentioned is VR can force a perspective, right? So in in the previous Hello Neighbor games. Um, Seeing, seeing the neighbor is a very curated experience, right? It is meant to convey a certain attitude. And this one, we put you in the shoes of a child. So you will never, you know, you will never be as tall as the neighbor. You will never have this dissociation you have in a non-VR game where it's like the neighbor's on the screen. The neighbor, the neighbor is there with you, right? The yeah. entire time. You can hear him. You can feel his presence. Um, there's a palpable tension there. The fear factor in this game is just naturally amped up. Right. And so I know that we've talked about this. It's it's not the nature of the game to, to crank up that tension uh, and make sure the players feel uncomfortable all the time. But I think maybe you all have experienced this. I definitely did myself. Um, I, I think that this game works really well in VR because of everything that VR has to offer. Just the, the, the moments that need tension happen. There's no question of whether or not you are going to be scared by this neighbor at certain junctions. You definitely are. It's going to happen. <laughs> and and so if, you know, if additional games came out of, of Hello Neighbor Search and Rescue because there's a lot of player enjoyment, there's a lot of player demand, I'd be super happy. Well, the, the art style just translates to VR and, and especially, you know, the... The Quest 2 limitations so well. I was like, this This looks like what I think the game looks like. This is perfect. Yeah, that, that, absolutely. I think I, I couldn't agree more. I, You know, coming into the franchise, uh, there was a bit of debate on which direction uh, to kind of push the art style to, to kind of evolve it from its earliest incarnations into what it is now. And I'm, I'm really happy with where we ended up going. Uh, in terms of Technical limitations. You're totally right that the it, it lends itself to VR and to Quest since it's not about the sort of highly highly detailed polygonal models um, or like transparency or or long yeah. draw distances or anything like that. It really is more of this sort of toy box makeshift kind of world where you where no two lines are parallel. There aren't very many right angles almost at all. Um, even the walls have a little jank to them, and something like that comes across so well in the kind of volumetric sense that you. You get in in VR, you can very easily tell that that like whoa, I'm in a space that's not uniform, it's not normal. Like the the floor's a little wonky, this thing's a little moving. Uh, it's really fantastic. Yeah, it really feels like you're in that universe. It adds a little to the uneasiness, though. I notice like what you're saying, how the walls are a little off, and there's these moments it almost feels kind of dreamlike. But I was really impressed with the way it felt like you were in those games. That's great to hear. Um, one of the things that I know we're incredibly proud of in the game is the visual fidelity on the quest specifically. I think. 
think we all surprised ourselves a little bit with how far we were able to push the visuals. The the graphical density of the game, specifically when you're in the house, in, in the environments overall, being able to pack it full of meaningful interactions and objects was really, really important to us. Um, so I think, you know, obviously, uh, People will notice a, a visual difference on, say, PC VR, any Steam headset, PSVR 2. Um, there are capabilities that we can leverage there that aren't necessarily available on the Quest. But a, as far as the Quest title goes, it, it is, I mean, to this day, I look at it and I still am impressed with how far we were able to push it. And that that means a good deal to our studio. It looks fantastic. So I, I have to ask now, because I, I thought about it when I looked at the store page, uh, you are supporting PlayStation VR 1 but you are not supporting the Oculus Quest one. Is there, is there any background to why you made that decision? So to, to be quite honest, um, we, we want to appeal to the, the broadest amount of players. Um, and, and that's where we see the, the player base going towards, right? Um, the, the Quest one is, is not necessarily something we, we wanted to specifically exclude, but uh, in terms of sort of the, the technical complexities that are introduced as you support this array of devices, we have to be very choosy with where we spend our, our efforts. Um, and, and so we obviously want to make it available to you where the most uh, folks have the headsets, right? So that definitely factored into our decision-making process. And as much as I'd love to sit here and tell you that we, we want to take the time to support every single device, um, unfortunately, that wasn't on the cards this time around. Tough choices. Yeah. I I was playing this game pre-release. So I was playing on early edition, thanks to Meta and the developers here. And I was really surprised though, because from the trailer and the way things looked, I expected when you get like a crowbar in the game, you could flip that crowbar all around and it would fly all over the place. But more like titles like Bone Lab and others that have physics, that crowbar had weight to it. I needed to get two hands on it sometimes to do what I was trying to do. And of course, with that came a little bit of jankiness or frustrations when it came to like trying to use an object and it got stuck on something else or my hand got stuck in place. How have you felt about the development process trying to incorporate this much physics? And is it difficult? Does it add a lot more to the game? What leads a developer down this path? It is difficult. When the second we start talking about physics constraints and how those are correlated to uh, device performance and what that means in terms of player experience, it's it's enough to make your head spin a little bit. Um, <laughs> there's so many interconnected systems. All of these things rely on the capabilities of the hardware. Um, and especially when you're using a physics-based system like we are, uh, there's a there's a high probability that there are things that you can make the game do that we've never seen. All these interactions depend on a variety of different factors. There's essentially infinite permutations of, of what you can make the game do based on the capabilities that you have. So it creates a lot of complexity. Adding on to that, the fact that we went for a non-linear problem-solving game, um, we wanted the world to feel real. We wanted objects to have weight. We wanted everything to feel like you were actually handling it um, so that it felt grounded. It felt like the, the neighbor was someone to be worried about, right? Not just a padding AI. Um, we wanted to, to give your actions consequences. And so there are things you can do in the game. Like you can start opening a door by grabbing the doorknob and then pulling it open a little. And you can put your hand behind it and then just push it the rest of the way mm -hmm. open. Um, that's the level of realism that, that we were looking to achieve. And that was the onus behind our decision to use a physics-based system. We wanted everything to feel weight and that it was doing. Um, so, so a large driver behind why we decided to go in that direction prim uh, in the first place was so that we could achieve that level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this game is 
it's it's intimate in a way. Um, it's not a sprawling open landscape that you can do anything. And the world is the house, right? The world is the neighbor's house. Mastering the neighbor's house was so important to us that the game felt real. Uh, the walls have thicknesses. If if you find a hole in a wall, you can pass an object through the wall and it stays there. Like you, you don't recognize how many games, you know, have, have giant spaces between rooms that are supposed to be right next to each other. We mm-hmm. designed the house as a real house in, in the way, in the ways that we could. It's, it's this Willy Wonka, you know, teetering tower of a house, but it, but it works. And so getting a physics interactions that supported that feeling was so important to us. And absolutely, it was a, a total nightmare technically in, <laughs> uh, in all the ways that Chase mentioned, but uh, I'm sure the, I'm sure our QA is uh, shaking their fists at us, but um, no, I think it, I think it actually came out really well. Yeah. And, and to add on to uh, our incredibly badass QA team, um, there, there are things you can do in a physics-based system that are sort of like the only limit is your imagination. Um, just the other day, I got a video from our QA lead that said, is this trailer worthy? Uh, and somebody grabs the blue or teal key from the backyard barbecue. They're walking towards the fence. They flip the key in their hand, grab it. They toss it 10 feet in front of them. It goes right into the lock. And then they just scroll up to the lock, unlock it, and push the door open. It was amazing. Um, these are the sorts of interactions that you get from a fully physics-driven system. And it, it sort of adds to that theme that we've been talking about of replayability. It's like, what are the crazy things you can do? For instance, we've had uh, little internal contests about who can get a fuse into the fuse box from the furthest distance away, right? Like there's there's lots of fun little mini games that you can create for yourself. There's lots of them to play in a system like this. So that's that's sort of a cool byproduct of using this incredibly complex. The whole opening area felt like it could just be a little playground. You mm-hmm. could just spend an hour in just messing with the, the baseball bat stuff, the slingshot. I, I even saw, I didn't do this in the game, but I saw in the trailer, you can wave to the, uh, the magnifying glass guy and he actually waves back. I was like, oh, that's some tension detail. <laughs> well, it's funny because when I originally watched this, I think it was Jack guy who had like supported the, the development. And so he got an early demo. And I remember at that point, like there were some weird glitches where like one time the neighbor pushed their way through a door or something like that. And so I actually found some of these glitches to feel really true to the early original series. And I know some other people may not feel that way but i thought it was very true to that and something that was also true to that is that the kids aren't all talking throughout the game there's not constant talking to each other i was just curious i think a lot of the listeners are going to wonder was that a tough call to make and how do you feel that the people are going to respond to a game where there's not really that conversation that you might expect with all these different people i think for us that was uh, a reference to the it's like secret neighbor how the, how the kids are in that game they have uh their own personalities that are very clear and evident, but they don't necessarily need to have a, a full-fledged conversation. Um, and then also in our game, you get to play as each of those kids. So you take on their roles. If they if they were speaking in a way that you didn't respond to, that might affect your immersion. I think it's also important to note that you are sneaking into your, your creepy neighbor's house. And so mm-hmm. a lot of excessive talking would probably feel a little disingenuous, right? Where in these <laughs> yeah. closets, like, I don't think he saw me. Uh, that would be, <laughs> you know, yeah. people start to ask themselves the question, hey, is this What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, there was a point I yelled and he looked at me and then I was like, oh, did he hear me? And that freaked <laughs> me out, though. I don't I still don't know if he if there was anything built in for that. But it really seemed like he heard me and that I was being quiet. As that much as I'd love to take creepy. credit for that. 
<laughs> no, it's not. In, okay. Uh, so this is the, we've we've both played the game. We've had you know a great time checking it out and a great time chatting with you guys. Uh, before we let you go, is there anything that we didn't cover that you guys you guys want to talk about or let us know any future updates or any anything you just haven't talked about the game yet? No, I think I, I think I'm just really excited for fans to check out the game and and you know see the Hell Neighbor world in VR for the first time. I think it really comes to life. You know, I, I like uh, I don't want to give away anything like I said before, but I think there's a lot more to this game than I think most people expect. Um, and I can't wait for the fans to check it out and uncover all the secrets. Awesome. Well, they're definitely going to check out some of those live streams if they're if they're on the fence at all. But uh, I, I definitely think if you're a Hello Neighbor fan and you have a VR headset, this is it's one you can't skip out on. Yeah, it really takes you into the universe of it. And uh, of course, if you're out there, we're going to have links in the description, the show notes, so that if you need to find this game quickly, maybe even a referral link to help you help you save a little bit on it. Who knows? But again, Chase, Evan, thank you both so much for coming out today. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having us. And if you're out there listening to the podcast, remember, you can come over here on YouTube and you can see some of these graphics, see what we've been talking about, about what to expect in this game. But if you're here on YouTube and you need us more on the go, we're on every major your podcast platform including audible which i just learned is like kind of a big deal i had no idea but we are there too so thank you for being here and if you're thinking about vr maybe it's time to get hello neighbor and doive on in